The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... Two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz. This week on Who Is, we'll be delving into another topic. But before we get into that, let's talk to the two hosts, my two co-hosts, the man to my left. He is the doctor himself, Mr. J. Michael P.S. Jargo. Jargo, what's going on? How you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, man. I can't wait to run down this list of like 64 names, Paz. I mean, jeez, man! I what a long list. I there's guys on this list that I even forgot were in the NWO. Yeah, it got a little crazy at one point. But bring in the third man in the booth, the Mike Tanay of who is he? Is the RBV, the Mister HMG, Mister TMPT, Rick? What's going on? How you doing? Hey yo! Yeah, there we go. Ready to go with another week of who is? Uh, I got a feeling, man. This one's just going to be uh just a little too uh too sweet on this one. <laughs> I stole a great – I had to do a speech once. I did this great Scott Hall. He did this on like a Thunder in 2000. Nobody remembers it. He gets the mic, and he goes – and everyone goes, hey, yo. And then he goes – and he tells them like – he doesn't talk, but he pulls up the finger like, hold on, hold on. And he's like, he can't remember, but everyone's going, hey, yo, whatever. But he can't, he can't remember. So then he gets it and he says it again. He doesn't, doesn't say anything. Then all of a sudden he goes, hold on. And he gets a piece of paper out of his pocket. And he reads the paper and he goes, okay, got it again. He goes, hey, yo. I was like, oh, that's so clever. That's such a good one by Hall. <laughs> that or was he actually intoxicated and forgot what that Maybe was. he might have <laughs> forgotten. Yeah. Scott Hall's a great place to start, right? The birth of the NWO, Scott yes. Hall. And, and so Rick who is, and I were talking. So first, we'll want to preface it by saying, who is the greatest member of the NWO? And that is the topic of this week. Rick and I were talking for about a half hour before Paz got on because he's slow today, right? Yeah, yep. And and but we were joking, like, are we only going to talk about three names today? Because I mean, it, it's one of three guys, right? The greatest member of the NWO. I not according to Kevin Sullivan. Ooh, this is intriguing. Mm. I'm I'm intrigued by who mm. Kevin Sullivan thinks is the greatest member of the NWO. But I feel like just with the three names, starting with Scott Hall, you could make a real good case for three guys but i have scott hall at third place of the three Whoa, what and i think it's because of scott's behind the scenes issues with his addictions and whatnot because you couldn't rely on scott you could like scott never got that individual push to that championship level centerpiece of the company because they couldn't trust scott hmm and I feel like that really holds him back in this conversation because if Scott would have been sober, he probably would have been number one on this list. Yeah, I, I tend to agree yep. with Jargo on this one. You know, again, looking at the parameters, how I kind of approached this topic really was what was a, a certain individual's involvement? What did it mean to the success of the NWO? What did they accomplish while in the NWO? And how did they springboard that going forward? You know, how did they use the opportunity to be a part of, you know, arguably one of the greatest factions? I, I believe it, when we debated it here on who is it, they, they came in second or third, uh, you know, amongst the fan vote and, and amongst us here. 
You know, so how did they use that going forward? And I think for Scott Hall, if we're breaking it down into those thirds, that first step, the importance of putting the New World Order on the map, really crossing those boundaries, making it actually where wrestling once again had a great boom period, arguably the greatest ever, where it becomes one of the coolest things in mainstream society. And I think Scott Hall carries that himself right there. That puts him number one. But there's that second and third little slice you know, the factor that I'm factoring in here, I really think the resume falls up short. He didn't have the accomplishments as the group was is growing and progressing and the stories are moving. And you really see uh, just very few moments of greatness for Scott Hall. And obviously because of the personal issues post NWO. And who's but, the coolest guy in the NWO though? Who, who's who Scott Hall. is cool? Scott Hall, unquestionably. If you want to be somebody, who would you want to be in the NWO? Well, and that's the thing, right? He was the most charismatic guy. He cut yep. the best promos. He was the best in ring of the three main guys that we're going to talk about today. Like by every measurable metric, Scott Hall should be number one on this list. But because WCW couldn't trust him behind the scenes, he was really, really oh. damaged in the booking. And it really goes back before that. You know, we're talking about, mm -hmm. hell, we can do who is the coolest guy ever in pro wrestling. Scott Hall is going to be in that conversation because it started with Razor Ramon. Might win. And, and, and why couldn't Vince in the WWF back then make that same move when you saw others around him getting those opportunities? And it did it. It just happens that those demons backstage were going to be the weight. Those anchors holding him back. With Hall... And him basically setting off the NWO. Without him, there is no NWO. So that's got to be very strong in the case for me. Like he, okay, he set it off. You want a war? You got it. You know him coming through the crowd. If it's not him, I don't know if we're talking about the NWO today. To be honest, you know what I mean. Like if he doesn't set it off, I don't know. I've often wondered, what if it just would have been the other way around? Like, I feel like Kevin Nash might have been able to pull it off, but he's the only other one. And it would have been a very different feel if Kevin Nash would have came in and then brought in Scott Hall. I like the way they obviously they had to do it for contract reasons as well. But I love the way they did it because Hall's there like, oh, where's your friend? Where's you like in bitch? I was kind of bitching at him and stuff. And he's like, look behind you. And the big bully, it, you know, is it, behind him. But Hall, I don't think you can get much more perfect than that i mean obviously set off another wrestling boom hogan's heel turn does play a lot of role into it, but he's the one that ignited the flame he's the one that set it off hey you know pause as you mentioned we're gonna we're gonna get the scoop on who mr sullivan would consider the greatest and maybe you've had this conversation with him this would be one to follow up with him which i think would be great was there a conversation or you know would if if Nash would have been available first, would they have moved on him first? I don't think it would have had that same effectiveness. I mean, you bring in, I'm not saying that Scott Hall is by any stretch of the imagination, a small man, but in comparison to, to big Kev, I mean, it's just that visual, right? You've already got the cock of the walk. I mean, you got Fonzie of pro wrestling kicking in your door and then, Oh damn, now he's got a giant. Now he's got a guy that he's that we're just known for pretty much jackknifing people through the canvas. I, I wonder if there was any consideration that they've ever talked about. Would they, would have they have held off until Hall was free if they were in those reverse spots? It is interesting with Hall, six foot seven, and he's the medium sized guy. Or he's the small guy. You know what I mean? It's crazy. That's how big Nash is. It's scary. Obviously, and the pairing yeah. of those two guys together was so freaking good because it had to be very tempting for WCW to just bring them in individually as two single stars. Instead, you end up with one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Yes. So with Scott Hall, he's got to be considered. I know you said top three. He's got to be considered. So we were talking about Nash. Is Nash your number two there on, on your list, Mr. J? No. Whoa, what? <laughs> I, I, I know, pause. I know. Because for anybody who hasn't figured it out yet, Paz sets these lists up so that at least three out of every four weeks, the correct answer is Hulk Hogan. But not today, Paz. Or Bad News Brown or Ludwig Borg or some of my other favorites. Yeah, Not today. <laughs> I, I, I feel like Big Sexy is number one on this list. Whoa, why? I, I realize that Diesel was WWF champion, but he was also widely renowned as quite possibly the worst WWF champion of all time. 
Kevin Nash completely repackaged himself in the matter of a couple of weeks, comes in as a tag team guy. He's there basically for the birth of the NWO. Then he's the last guy standing. When the NWO finally dies, it's like Kevin Nash's third quad. Nash tears his quad, and, and that's it. That's the end of the NWO. Wolfpack, yep, Nash was there for that too. Finger poke of doom, yep, Nash was there for that too. Like, he is Mr. NWO. Like, every big moment in the NWO's history, Kevin Nash was there for it, and I'm not sure anybody did more inside of the nwo for the nwo than kevin nash you know i, I really have to agree here you're hitting some great points and i go back to, to my three points in this conversation uh nash such a huge part of kicking this thing off the perfect compliment the hall there you look at the resume what he was able to do in a kayfabe sense in in inside of the nwo there for all those big moments Cross the board championships, huge angles. Uh, hell, he breaks this, you know, for better or worse, he still is the individual who who takes down Goldberg. It's, you know, again, better for worse, but that is still something on that kayfabe resume. And then when you look, you know, how you transition out of the NWO, even going into this, you know, it's not like a Hogan who has, okay, this guy already carried wrestling for a decade plus. He already set that, that first boom in motion. We're going to try to use him to reinvent this thing. Kevin Nash comes in with, you know, a great physique. Sure, he was with the company, but look at the gimmicks we had here. Vinny Vegas, Oz goes over to Diesel, who many you know have pointed the finger at as being the worst drawing WWF champion out of all time. What's the dude do? Goes in and negotiates a tremendous contract with really not nothing close to the leverage that you saw of a Hawk Hogan. Then through that run in WCW, he continues to improve each contract. Eventually, to the point he gets his hands on the damn book. When you talk about taking it, taking the ball and running with it, hard to argue Kevin Nash there across all of those factors. So in 96, especially at this point, 96, the business doing okay, not great, kind of floundering. WBF is floundering. Shawn Michaels, not what they thought he was going to be as a champion. Bret Hart's gone, although, you know, not this huge trough like a Hogan, but still he's gone. It's basically on Michael's back. He's failing miserably. They're bringing back Warrior as like a last-ditch effort. Um, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's like, well, wow, that's kind of funny. Like they're like so desperate, like warrior, please come back. Like maybe nostalgia will, will be back in, in vogue as Michaels, you know, they, they kind of, I think saw some writing on the wall and Michaels may need some help with some other top baby faces. So then you look at WCW, it's like, okay, Hogan's doing the Hulkamania thing. Still, it's getting a little old. You got flair versus Savage, which is good, but it's almost a retread of what the WWF did. It's like, what can you do to shake up the business? Oh, Hall and Nash are free agents. Bischoff gets this idea of doing the NWO talks to Sullivan. Sullivan's like, I know how to build this up. I know how to get these guys tremendous heat. I know how to make it look like a WWF or WCW takeover, but I'm not going to put that anywhere on my booking sheets in case something happens where we get sued and they want to look at all of my booking sheets and this is WWF or WCW. So I'm not putting that anywhere. Yeah, but, interesting. But, that's some great insight yeah. right there. Yeah, so it's one of those things where it's like, well, that's interesting because you're saying it's WWF or WCW. Bischoff is denying it. You're not putting it on paper anywhere. But how do you execute it? Okay, Hall says, I'm taking over. We're taking over. I got a big friend coming with me, the big guy next week. It's like, wait, he's from WBF. He's from WBF. Hogan turns. He's WBF. And like, they're not saying it, but Sullivan's laughing about it, saying he's like, obviously, it's so implied. It's a WBF takeover. But that is how you shake up the business. And literally, from that moment on, May 27, 1996, when Hall debuts, and then a few weeks later, Nash debuts, and then July, uh, Besh the Beach, the business is nothing but on a huge trajectory. Then WBF kind of, not copies it, but Austin versus McMahon is kind of the crux, the idea, if you look at the genesis, it's the company versus the you know the guy. So it's almost like the same thing, NWO. The, the anti uh, Yeah, the wrestlers versus right. the establishment. Yeah, exactly. So how do you shake up the business? You get the NWO. Boom, Hall and Nash are right in the middle of it. Cool as hell, playing themselves, not playing corny Diesel. And Razor Moe, not corny at all, but like, you know, not playing the, the character at all, just really being himself times a thousand. And they're both cool as hell. And you're right about Nash. I'm a long way to get to Nash, but he kind of reinvents himself and just was like, fuck it, I'm just going to be myself. When I cut promos and I talk, I'm going to use Jim Morrison lines. I love Jim Morrison. Uh, I'm going to quote uh, Werewolves of London if I feel like. You know what I mean? Just just going to do whatever the hell he wants, but he came off so cool 
and so different the for life and uh, yeah, all that stuff and a lot of it was nash's ideas but he's just unbelievable way to turn the business around completely like this day and age oh cm punk and Dan- brian danison who i love are going to change around the business like hall and nash not even well, you know and to add to that you know one of the stories that i always love from nash you know when he talked about and, and it was you know they were him and hall coming in they convinced bischoff that hey we got to be more real we got to talk to these people, not like these crazy, a hockey player became a pro wrestler or a trash man. We're, we're real people that have chose professional wrestling. Uh, but one of the, you know, just one of those small details that you're talking about of how these guys were able to, everyone kind of has their input here to truly craft this thing. Uh, but Nash was telling a story about meeting with WCW merchandising, which he also said was a, an incredible joke in compared to what was going on up north at the time where they have an entire floor department. This is one little room. With, you know, where they're coming up to stuff, but they were like, well, we can't wait to get these NWO shirts on our merchandise stands. And, you know, the big man, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. We have nothing to do with you. Why would our merch be there? I said, here's what we're, he said, here's, he said, here's what we're going to do. He said, me and Scott are going to go out before the show, hit the corridors, hit the verandas, and we're going to sell this shit ourselves. We'll have our own street crew, NWO crew out there pitching our own merchandise. And it's, it's one of those little, you know, that attention to those finer details that subliminally sit in people's minds. That, you know, it's set up, okay, this is a different entity here. And that's what helped create that magic. Whereas, you know, you have somebody like Hogan, and like Rick said, you know, Hogan has been on top of the business. He's carried wrestling on his back, you know, for the last 10 years. He just keeps on doing it. He keeps on being Hollywood Hogan, and that's great. But did he really elevate himself at all? Because you couldn't elevate himself. He's he's already the biggest name in the history of the business, whereas Kevin Nash did so much more with the NWO and for the NWO, whereas Hogan was just that name recognition and the legitimacy that it needed. The, the thing about Nash to me that's incredible is when you have Hall and you have Hogan and it, you bring up Punk, right? The one line in that Punk versus MJF promo that I absolutely hated was when he said that I thought MJF stood for my jealous fan. That felt like very much something that Hall would have said or Hogan would have said, and it's scripted, and he thought he sat and he thought about it, and he wrote it all down, and he memorized it, and I'm going to hit him with this zinger, whereas Kevin Nash would just go out there with a microphone and just talk to people, and it wasn't always coherent. It was just Kevin Nash being Kevin Nash. Like, I'm just going to call this promo in the middle of the ring. It just felt so natural and cool and relaxed, and nobody could touch the guy. He was on fire there for about three years. Hey, Paz, let me ask you this. In conversations that you've had with those that were there, especially Mr. Sullivan, you talk about contributions, you know, who was pitching ideas, you know, those finer details. Has he ever spoke about what what hogan was like i mean what did hogan contribute because i could see hogan being a little bit difficult and having trouble grasping that concept and moving forward and and how to evolve things just because as jarko said he'd been on top for so long and he's so old school and he's been doing it for so long a certain way it's funny because you would think he would be harder to deal with he said basically when he turned that was like the initial whatever, but then they, you know, the initial problem or the initial trouble. It's just manager, to convince him to throw everything right. he thought. The manager he knew. doesn't want it to do. Jimmy Hart doesn't and, you know, want that it to would do. That would be it. terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. So it, as soon as it worked, he said. As soon as he got back and he got through the, the curtain with the guys, he's like, "Okay, this is awesome. It, <laughs> you know, it worked. We we nailed it." He said, "This was the easiest Hogan was was." was NWO, I guess until really 98, they started seeing a bump in the road. But he was saying he was just following the waves, following the momentum of Hall Nash. Yeah, he saw a bump in the road. It was called a jackhammer. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Well, I mean, I go back and I watch some of those old nitros, right? Like, especially the Rodman stuff when Rodman was around and you listen to those Hogan promos, they make zero kind of logical sense. Like they are terrible Hogan promos, but the delivery is just so cool and so dead on, but it feels so rehearsed. It's so practiced. Whereas Kevin Nash to go out there and be like, Hey, listen, later on tonight, me and Hall, we're going to get in the ring. I'm going to kick this dude's ass. I'm going to go back and drink a beer. And then I'm going to my hotel and I'm going to count my money. And it was just, he was just talking to people. It was great. And at first, too, Hall and Nash, I mean, obviously there's a lot of politics, but 
they knew Hogan's the man. Like, in order for this to work and everybody to fall in love with it, we have to have a leader. And that leader needs to be Hogan who turned heel. So completely shocks the world doing it. Maybe the last time in wrestling where we really see you know, venom and hatred towards uh, the wrestlers where they're throwing trash, like for real, not like, you know, like we've seen it since then where they throw some trash. Oh, that was shitty or something. And like GCW, like, Oh, we didn't like that. But no, this is like real vitriol hatred. This guy turned his back on us. He betrayed us. I can't believe our hero did this. What the hell's wrong with him? Was he like this all along? So that's like the turning point where everyone, and he was covered in newspapers, like Hulk Hogan turned bad. It was on the TV. Hulk Hogan turned bad. Can you believe this? NWO. So, you need Hall to set it off. You need Nash. Obviously, they both have the cool factor, which will in turn make Hogan cool by proxy, by being with them. But you still need that turn, and you need that shock value of like, holy shit, he turned. And then when he starts cutting those promos, we're like, wow, he's such an asshole. Like the whole, well, I'm the Babe Ruth of wrestling. I'm, I'm the only reason anyone's here. Like, whoa, that's not true. You know, then you start getting the wheels turning in people's head where they're just like, what an asshole. This guy went Hollywood and, and he's a scumbag and he's with these two traders that are trying to take over the company from the WWF. So Hogan is just the, obviously, if, let's say it's Sting turn or Luger or something. Eh, it's not going to work. Hogan, the only possible guy that would have worked with. See, I was just sitting here thinking, would it have worked if it would have been Sting? Because my, everybody's understanding is that was the plan. If Hogan at the last minute was like, I can't do it, brother. doesn't work for me. Or, or it, Mabel. It, 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 it or was Mabel. <laughs> tremendous. According to Dave Meltzer. But, I mean, the storyline would have been entirely different, especially where it went, obviously. But would it have worked with the face of WCW being the guy to betray the company? Like, could they have made that work? Would it have been half as successful if it would have been Sting instead of Hogan? Because I think it runs out of steam real quick. Yeah. I, I would agree with Jargo there. I think you have a short life because what you've done there is you've ignited those emotions with inside of that Southern WCW fan. Now, what is your shelf life there? What you capture the magic there with a the Hawk Hogan You've ignited a fire across the entire wrestling landscape. No matter what your style is, you are now paying attention to this thing. It was so funny about it is, is, is you still, you had that Southern, that Southern base, that core WCW fans, Yargo, you were one that always preferred that style over the WWE, the sports entertainment who were growing very tired of cartoonish Hulk Hogan, but still in that moment, that even to them that he could so to for, for them actually it's that he has stabbed their style their stars those that are committed to them in the back for the rest of the world it's oh my god my childhood has just been torn to shreds this guy this this piece of americana an icon beyond professional wrestling the true crossover has stabbed us in the back that's where you create that magic yeah, I think you could have had a year or two of success, maybe with the NWO, with someone else, McSting, Flair, maybe taking taking those reins, but nothing that the phenom that you would have seen with Hawk Hogan. This was, I mean, it was the perfect storm. Gotta love uh, the holster turning into Hollywood Hogan. Obviously, Hall Nash, who we mentioned, but Kevin Sullivan says another member of the NWO for whatever reason he loved him. He said it was a perfect fit. He was uh, just the perfect NWO guy to him for some reason. His favorite, he Sean said, he Waltman. Still- yes, six, aka Sean Waltman. He loved him in the NWO. He said he was a scene stealer. He fit the attitude of the group for whatever reason. He loved six in the NWO. So do I. The real Wolfpack should be Hall, Nash, and Six, and that was only, or it really was the real Wolfpack for a while, but that only lasted for a set amount of time really and it should have lasted longer i know waltman hurts his neck and then i know um, his agent was trying to get maybe more money from bischoff and bischoff was just perturbed over the whole situation ends up getting rid of waltman huge mistake but i i gotta put waltman he was the fourth guy i wrote on my list too i gotta put waltman up there too well i think you know waltman he, what is he uh, charlie from it's always sunny in philadelphia he was that wild card bitches because, you know, he's been hey. praised as when he joins the NWO, he brings a, a, a little bit of, you know, that fresh funk to it. You know, it, he's a little more, you know, he brings a little more hip move to it as people were kind of looking at Hogan, okay, at this time. Now we've got that click together. Now we've got those three, they're rocking and rolling together. And even in his inclusion, and he has success, you know, being the cruiserweight in, inside, he's got that great look. You know, he brings a different vibe so people are paying attention to him. 
Now, talking about what you do when you leave, and, you know, you, we're putting over Sullivan, who's there living in this moment, talking about those towns. You know, one of our other uh, hosts here had great shows programming. You can catch on the two-man power trip, Empire, Dr. Tom. On that flip side, when, when Six shows up in DX, you know, that's a major swing. So yep. like losing that team member is, yep. you know, you can say that's a great success that, that Waltman had that kind of impact there as well. Got DX over. That was the only reason it got, they got over it. Triple H was floundering. He was horrible at that point. He was pretty much going to be uh, relegated to maybe, you know, the, the mid card for life. But Waltman comes in and saves him because you got a guy from the freaking NWO, the most over thing in, in wrestling for years. And the biggest thing in wrestling r- literally set off the wrestling boom again. And you foolishly fire him. He ends up in DX. Instant credibility. It's almost like you take the NWO, you put it in DX. Instant credibility for those guys. And I think the most important thing about Waltman leaving was what it did to WCW behind the scenes because Hall was not happy and Nash was not happy and it really broke their give a damn without Waltman being there. And and that is really, if you want to trace back to like the, the beginning of the decline of WCW, that to me is the moment because the talent became unhappy with the office and it really bled through on camera. So, I mean, Waltman might be the most important member of the NWO just by his leaving because of what it did to behind the scenes and the rift between the office and the talent. And if you remember at that point too, they were starting to, when Waltman leaves, then power play backstage, Sullivan didn't really like it either, but that's the direction that Hogan and Bischoff want to go. They wanted to splinter the NWO. Mm-hmm. So they split up Hall and Nash too. So I kind of said it. He said, who knows if it's true or not, but I kind of threw it out there as like possibility. They fire Waltman. Like were they those three, Waltman, Hall, and Nash, getting too much political power? So you fire Waltman and then you split up the two best friends that on TV – doesn't make sense you would ever split them up like right. nobody wants to see them feud i mean that's it's so stupid I, it's just one of those things where as a fan you're like nobody wants to see this i don't care if hall was drinking too much and nash needs to be the big brother to him but nobody wants to see those two feuds so it's almost like they punish them oh i'll fire your friend and i'm splitting you guys up like it's like you guys are getting too strong politically i wonder if that was the case and, and the bigger problem was Waltman was over on USA telling everybody exactly what was happening behind the scenes down in WCW. So it, it turned all the fan support against the company, too, in support of the talent. You look at all those, you know, we look at the early beginnings of, of the wars and the big movers and shakers. You know, that's what it's greatly that people miss in these in those big conversations. That is that true game changer. I mean, it's equivalent, you know. Waltman making a move like that is, you know, it's like an ace pitcher from the Red Sox jumping over to the Yankees. Yeah. You know, a lot of people want to talk about the early days, the firing of Stone Cold to open the door for him, or is it Foley? Or, you know, is it Lex Luger showing up at the Great American Mall? Is it just, you know, Hogan getting, you know, convincing Macho, Boyer, whoever, Piper, all those people there? You know, that, that biggest game changer. And I think, you know, those that are in the know would agree on this thing, but a lot of fans don't talk about because it's one of those subtle moves is Waltman. And the other thing that it did was it got Triple H over as a main eventer because I remember that's like the night after WrestleMania 14 that they, they're elevating Hunter from that mid-card level to yep. a main event level. He's taking over DX for HBK, who's going to be gone for a little while. We had no idea that it was going to be that long. HB Shizzle. But you bring in suddenly a subservient to Triple H, and it immediately pushes Triple H up the card and makes him feel like a bigger deal. Yes. So we're talking about Hogan, Hall, Nash, and Six. Those are definitely the big four. But what about Eric Bischoff? He played a very, very key role. Obviously, he was a big storyline point for when Piper comes in, and he ends up the one that's trying to not have Hogan versus Piper happen, which is a cool kind of surprising storyline. But it's like, ah, no wonder the NWO has been getting – so much of the upper hand they got one the boss is in the back pocket jar if you want to jump in i mean I, with bischoff it's it's kind of is kind of weird to me i yeah this is where okay everything's out the window you know we are playing together everybody's still under is under the umbrella and i kind of go back to remembering it it took time for bischoff to grow on me in that in that spot there 
is I like the DiBiase role, but I guess because we were getting so real with the personas, you know, we're getting to know they're actually talking to us as real individuals. I guess it starts to fade of, okay, this guy ain't a million dollar man. It's Bischoff is kind of the jump the shark, right? Like when you really look back on it now, Bischoff giving himself a role on television to play opposite of Vince McMahon was kind of the jump the shark moment for the NWO for me, because like, so if the booker and the guy who produces the show is part of this group, and I know I'm watching a show, regardless of how real you want to try to make it feel, it, it just felt like it defeated the point. Like you had pulled back the curtain too far at a certain point. And I feel like that really hurts Bischoff, even though I'm a huge Eric Bischoff fan. And I think the importance of Bischoff was being the voice of the NWO when he would take over commentary and he would give you everything from the NWO perspective and, and the way that he was laying things out, especially once it came to against Warner media and they're kind of playing, you know, WCW versus it's the office versus the office and it's the office versus WWE. It wasn't so much about the talent in the ring anymore. And I think that's where it really jumped the shark. Did, did they go a little Mick, too Mick, early Mick. with Bischoff? I mean, it would have worked if they would have held off a little bit down the line. Cause it always, you know, it always seemed to me there's okay. So who's opposing who? I mean, why, why isn't there a figure representing Turner here? of this guy that you've hired is now bringing these renegades in and, and trying to redirect this whole ship. I mean, yeah, it's like if Bischoff really wanted to kill WCW, he would just do it with the stroke of a pen. It wouldn't take place in a wrestling ring. Like it, it just, you can only suspend your disbelief so far and they went too far. But Mr. McMahon did kind of steal a character. I know he did Mc Memphis and that stuff, but the Mr. McMahon character, you can, Arguably, say it's copied from the Bischoff character, the heel boss. He did it. Uh, uh, he did away. I, I don't know. He, I, he I did away for Vincent on TV. I, I see. Yeah, on television. You know, we're, but we go back to where he is. You know, working that down in Memphis territory areas. But the Bischoff thing seemed. Now, there, I think there's some distant parallels there. The Bischoff thing seemed very forced and driven, where McMahon was organic. I like the Bishop. I always get the Bishop thing. He's, I think he's like, man, this is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking it in any way. I mean, if you're sitting back, it's hard, you know, you're, you're driving the ship of this thing and there's something really cool out there. You want to be a part of it. Like, I feel like if WCW would have relaunched right in, in later 2001, I feel like the Bischoff thing would have worked then. Like you could have brought Bischoff in. And then had him be like, you know, I tried to buy this company and, and really like have a desire to put WCW down. But inside of the context of the NWO storyline, it just it, it never made any sense to me. It just as much as I love Eric, it was very much Eric stroking Eric's ego at a certain point. What about you mentioned Ted DiBiase. What about Ted DiBiase? Too short of a run there. Did you like him as trillion dollar Ted? You know, kind of the little bit of financial backer. I know Sullivan doesn't like it because he said these guys don't need money. They're more of renegades. But to me, it's like, but then they can kind of, you know, uh, afford some of the uh, the finer things in life uh, while they're out there. Well, I, I think it explained, well, obviously we don't need, it's freaking Hawk Hogan. I mean, he's got, you know, we know he's got <laughs> yeah. all the damn money in the world. He doesn't yeah. need someone backing with the finer things in life. Uh, but yeah, more is always better. I think, it, again, it worked early with DiBiase. As I said, I, I like the initial introduction. Now it lets us know why they got a, you know, why do they have a production truck out there? Why are they running all these vignettes that are cutting in? You're explaining it there. I think what really hurt DiBiase in the connection is, is he was of that rock and wrestling where we had those great boom of those over-the-top personas where now we're dealing with a reality-based and then what really begins to, to hammer home for him that's in, in a negative way is the boom of the internet. Uh, your AOL chat rooms, your different message boards, we're starting to learn more about what these people are like away from it. And again, it's, you know, it's that disbelief. And it was also kind of the transitioning of roles, right? I mean, like there was part of the crowd that wanted to see Ted DiBiase more as an in-ring competitor 
and DiBiase was more valuable in a almost JJ Dillon like role to the horseman. It was cool though to have DiBiase in the crowd. Like, who was the fourth man? Savage said there was a fourth guy. Then he does the four fingers in the crowd. I mean, there was some cool elements to it, but eventually it kind of worked in. And I hated him with the Steiner brothers. That's a different story, different day. I mean, that just didn't work. But what about you know how awesome DiBiase would have been as a member of the horsemen? Like that seemed like it would have fit if you could have got, you know, a healthy DiBiase that could still like go inside the ring. That would have fit a whole lot better than the NWO. What about the giant? Where does he sit? Secret weapon, right? I mean, like, look at the size inside of the NWO. When you got to get a heavy for Hall and Nash, your, your options are pretty limited. And so they found Paul White and brought him in, you know, like, but it was just, it was self-serving for a short-term storyline. Right, it was just, just a device. He, Hogan promised him all these starring roles in movies. He's he, he was up a to, secret he, weapon. He looks up to Hulk, and then all of a sudden he wins World War Three. I thought for those for that time period because you know they're wasting not wasting time, but they're they're spreading it spreading it out. It's like okay, he's feuding with Piper, but Piper's not going to be there. You know this whole time he's not going to be on every show. He's got certain amount of dates. Let's have the giant mix him in. We're going to look so damn dominant that we got these three giants in the NWO. We're going to kill, yep. and then all of a sudden. Why don't we do a little thing where he wins World War Three? But oh, I want I want to be the leader of the NWO. I want to be the shot. He doesn't help Hogan versus Piper. Then Hogan fights him. So it, to me, I like it because it stretches out storylines with Hogan, gives him a couple different directions to go to. Especially all, when Piper's it's not all on every a vehicle show. to reenact Andre versus Hogan. That's really yeah. what the entire storyline was. They just but, used the NWO as the device to do it and to reverse it. So yep. the giant would be the babyface and he'll be the heel. Yep. yep. So you get that different dynamic there. But, Paz, I, I, I agree with you 100% on how they put this yeah. thing together. I mean, essentially, you have got uh, the greenie, the freshman, coming in. And here come the seniors. They realize that this this kid, he's, he's made for the varsity, baby. He's ready to go play right now. We don't want him aligning himself, listening to what's going on on the other side. Keep staying Luger, Macho, out of his ear. we got to show him the way here. And how do you do that? Again, you know, as I said, in in the reality of a situation with Bischoff seeing something that's cool in the storyline wise here, you're still a young kid, man. You're learning the ropes of professional wrestling. If you're the big show. Hell yeah, I want to be a part of that. I mean, I can dominate inside this ring. I can get gold. I can roll with all these women. Hell, I can go get movie roles. I mean, my life is going to be glorious beyond this thing here. Of course, you're going to make that move, but you're still so young. You don't realize you're getting manipulated by these guys. So I did like that story. And then you have at some point, okay, uh, the cat's out of the bag here. Shit's about to hit the fan. So I I, I did like what they did there. Uh, obviously, I don't know if the success coming later in his career, but, he, you know, it's what well, we're talking about being green. Behind the scenes, it took him quite a while to learn. Uh, maybe he started believing some of that stuff in the end because you heard when he goes to the WWE, I mean, he gets sent back to OVW. He he's, a, he's a, over in the puking in the, in the can and all that stuff. But you'd have to say from those roots, Big Show's made a hell of a career for himself there. And it established him as a main event star immediately. As yeah. if he needed any help being as big as he is. So, my favorite member of the NWO, and he better be on that list, better be high up on that list, Drago. He's got many different names. You can call him the fake, call him the bogus, call him the NWO. What about the fake sting? Gotta love the fake sting. You know, this is a name that Rick and I talked about before we got on the air today, too. Like, whoa, would Jeff he, Farmer. Wow. Would, would Jeff Farmer have had a job inside of the world of professional wrestling if it wasn't for the NWO and the fake sting angle? What about Cobra? Exactly. Oh, I mean, point man, made, he had right? quite a he had quite a run in uh, Japan. Like, obviously, has fake sting. It's crazy. Yeah, even on the independent scene here in the states, like nobody is happier than Jeff Farmer that Sting is on AEW TV right now. He's getting a whole new set of paydays on the independent scene right now. All he's got to do is show up, point a baseball bat, go home, get his payday. I mean, good for you, man. Jeff Farmer. Good for you. If you're AEW, why aren't you bringing him in? Why? Reenact why? the uh, the storyline no. again. No, no, no. <laughs> Don't you can edit that out. Make sure that never gets released publicly. Uh, you know, for Farmer, hey, 
hey, Jarko's right. I mean, what do he? What do you have been had a job? But and then look at what it's done for the longevity of his career. Unfortunately for Mister Farmer, uh, his greatest claim to fame inside of professional wrestling for the generations to come will be happening at, at barrooms uh, across the nation during pro wrestling trivia night. You bet. Absolutely. I love it. At that point too, the storylines and the writing was great because that's like a, like a sidebar thing that gets brought into the main, you know, the main storyline because, okay, Sting attacks Luger, well, fake Sting. They don't know if they could trust him to be on the team. They basically don't trust him. Shivani took like, ah, shit. Here we go. Uh, we're done for. It's Sting's NWO, and then all of a sudden the real Sting comes out, cleans house, and then walks out of them. Then has the great promo the next night. You guys can stick it. He's got his back purposely to the camera, and then obviously um, Nash tells him to break on through to the other side. There's nobody that knows anything more about imitations and imitators than us. So basically saying, look, we were showing you fake razor fake diesel fake sting we're trying to get you to join the nwo he's wearing the black and white he does the crow gimmick which was created by hall um well influenced by hall and hall's idea really came up say, with i'm it. pretty sure that was invented by james obar pause yeah true no. but Got hall's all. idea of sting to be yeah to, to be right. the uh, the fake the, to be the crow sting but all that the, the fake sting i mean that all led to the sting Hogan storyline all on the preface of they didn't trust me. They didn't believe me. They thought this fake bogus NWO thing was really me. So he played a big role. I, I loved it. Hey, hey, has there been in, in all professional wrestling, you threw out some of the other, you know, uh, fake diesel, fake razor, uh, the under faker. Is there, has there been anyone that has portrayed another persona that sold it as well? Is the fake thing? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, Farmer was perfect. I mean, he looked just enough like Steve Borden that it worked underneath of the paint. And especially when Sting went up in the rafters and you couldn't really see all the definition in his face, you could just see the makeup. So then when you would see Farmer up close, it was, is that Sting? I mean, I'm not sure. Is it? I mean, even the fans were confused and that's what made the storyline work. Like throughout the course of professional wrestling, we have seen where, you know, the, the wrestler will have a failed judgment and the wrestler has to earn his way back into the good graces of the fans. Sting kind of flipped it on his head where it was, you know, the fans turned on me. The fans have to earn their way back into my good graces, not the other way around. And that was what made the entire story. Just so freaking great. His locker room. Yeah, absolutely. Some of his best friends. What about Vincent? He's got to be on there now. As much as we talk about Kevin Nash being there for every great NWO moment, you know who else was? Vincent. He's just hanging man. out in the background, waving at the camera, just happy to be here, getting my payday. Getting but somehow money. Vincent's there for all of it. I love it. I think he was great. Great, great addition. Adds to the ex-WB guy, WBF taking over kind of thing. I loved it. A lot of people don't for, you know, many, many different reasons, but I loved it. I know Rick loved it. Uh, I'm indifferent. I mean, he was oh, just there. Oh. He's like Brandon Cutler in the elite. Like you got to have somebody <laughs> there to take a punch every once in a while and hold the damn camera. Right. I mean, yeah, but at least Vincent had how many years, what, five, six years of WWF TV before that? Well, more than that, almost shit. When did he debut? So, so he had like, um, like basically nine years of TV time on WWE. So, I mean, he did have that like credibility or that, at least that word, somebody's watching be like, Holy shit, that guy was in WWF. You know what I mean? At least he had that sort of credibility. Cutler has none. Nobody even knows who the hell that guy is. I still don't know who he is. I'm curious now. Oh, uh-oh. Rick, go. Uh-oh. Well, I, it's going to say, uh, shit, what is, what is, what is he up to? I mean, Vincent at the time reminded me just of South Park. I mean, they just should have called him token. It was just a black guy standing there in the background. But come on, he's from WF TV. Come on. But he barely did anything there as well. <laughs> but he's with DiBiase <laughs> and Andre. Come on. And then he turned, had that awesome feud with DiBiase. Come on. Uh, yeah, again, it's like it, they looked like they had like that, some kind of plan direction for him. It was Virgil, baby. He had to see it, some fans get behind him, you know. Uh, he had those god awful candy stripper pants rocking for him. Uh, and then, unfortunately, the bell rang. What about the macho man, Randy Savage? Oh, yeah. 
Well, you know what? You're absolutely right, Paz. Virgil had a twice as good of a winning percentage as Brandon Cutler. I was curious who had won more matches throughout their career. And while close, Virgil has a better winning percentage. Has Brandon Cutler ever had a TV match? Like an Brandon Cutler match? has Brandon Cutler has, are you ready for this? Yeah. 23 wins in his professional wrestling career. 10 of them in AEW. Oh, wow. I don't even remember him having a match on TV. How about that? He wow. is 10 and 37 in AEW. Hey, I, I'm telling you right now, I mean, they, they have got to get some fire under Cutler. Start uh, just ripping through that roster, getting a win streak going, getting those fans behind them. Can you see it at AEW? The thousands and thousands just chanting away. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Oh, Tremendous. well played. Well played. Hey, you think that we set that bit up, wouldn't you? Didn't yeah. somebody just get in trouble for saying that? Uh, McAfee, Pat McAfee, Pat McAfee if, I thought so. Yeah, he asked if the crowd said they were chanting for Brock, and he said, "Are they chanting? Let's go, Brandon." Hey, uh, hey the uh, last professional wrestling alliance of food trucks and wrestling, we did a little gimmick where we had a, a rather loud, you know, it was a a pair of loud mouths out there, and it was an open challenge, but apparently nobody in the locker room wanted to to answer the call there, so they threw it out to the audience, man, and, and they got their hands full. Big old farm boy. Uh, from the from the the farms of west side of Cincinnati, guy that hangs out in the local bars, gonna throw back a couple six packs each and every night. He answered the challenge. He had the the entire arena rallying behind him, and his name just happened to be Brandon. What a oh crazy man! Pause. You bring up the Macho Man Randy yes. Savage, and I have Macho Man like probably number five on my list. I mean, I put it right behind six. I think Randy Savage, as much as anybody, had something to prove when it came to the NWO. I hated the entire thing where he's feuding with the NWO and then he finally joins them. Like the whole storyline leading up to it was pointless. But Randy Savage fit inside the NWO. He defined the NWO. He wrestled great. And like he redefined himself as a character when Vince cast him off and said, you can't wrestle anymore. Like Randy had something to prove, unlike a lot of the guys that were inside of the NWO. And his feud with DDP, feud of the Money. year 1997, awesome. And hey, they did it, which is insane. Austin versus Bret Hart was mostly 97, and they had a better feud, which is crazy to say. So that's yeah. how good that feud was. Great stuff. Yeah, it, it saddens me to, to say this here, and I do agree with Jargo. The storyline really had me sour at the time about him transitioning over. But really looking back at this thing, Macho was one of those people that, with as hot as the program was between NW and WCW, I just think, I don't think he really had a solidified position there. Like, I don't think he was going to benefit by backing either one of them. You know, he never really was a WCW guy. Even when he was representing them at Bash at the Beach in that three, the originals that are fighting there. I think, you know, it was just for that name power, that value. But then to even join the NWO, it's more of, man, this is Macho having to play second fiddle to Hogan again. And, and that's been kind of the story his whole career. And I know Macho was a businessman through and through. It was about making money. He was going to go out there and do whatever he could. Thus going and, and requesting to work with DDP, wanted to make this young star. And I think it was one of those things behind the scenes. Yeah. Macho is making this thing go because that's what he does. He understands all of that. He wants to make money. He wants to work those top programs, join the NWO. Hell yeah. They're the hottest thing going. You're going to be out there standing right next to Hogan in that spotlight. But again, to me, second fiddle here. Hogan, it seems like Hogan always kept him close with the worry that if, if you did keep Macho on the other side, that it's going to become that rival that's going to make people sway more heavily towards the WCW side. I thought that was also part of the genius of it, too. Like, you finally get the mega powers back together, but they're dickheads. You know what I mean? Like, it was just a complete different kind of now, see, now I relationship. Now I would have loved to have seen NWO Hollywood mega powers versus the Wolfpack Outsiders. Oh, that would have been great. Should have Talk done. about that headline in a hust. Would have been great. What about, buff, what about buff is the stuff buff bagwell turning heel and becoming buff and uh nwo you gotta love that i mean i made the comment to rick off air you know talk about two very very different career paths 
Marcus Bagwell becomes buff and a member of the NWO and Scotty Riggs becomes a pirate and a member of the flock. Yeah. One of those guys made a a living on the independent scene afterwards. Um, Buff love the guy or hate the guy did so much with the NWO gimmick. Like it really gave Marcus Bagwell a pathway to continue inside of professional wrestling rather than feeling like, you know, generic creator wrestler number two. I I completely agree. He's one of those people that took the vibe, the energy, the attitude, no pun intended of the NWO made it his own and continued to run with the ball. Well, after. So there's two celebrities I have on my list that got to be considered. I love them both. Dennis Rodman, which was awesome. high on my list. Very, Very high, high on my, on my list. list. Awesome celebrity. I mean, he got so much mainstream appeal. WWF kind of obviously uh, counter program with some Mike Tyson, but they're you know, neck and neck with like controversy, but fit in perfect with the wrestling world, but are number one or you know, close to number one in their sport, whether it be driving traffic or they're on the best team or the number one pay-per-view draw, whatever Rodman, you know, he obviously he was there before Tyson, but he was kind of the the Tyson to w, you know W whatever WWF's Tyson, WWE's Rodman, huge mainstream publicity, huge star, and then I got to throw in my buddy Kyle Petty, who's who's that NASCAR NWO racing. So you got to throw those two in there. Hey, you know, when it came when it came to NASCAR, Kyle Petty was such a bad boy. Sometimes he would turn right. That's how much <laughs> of a bad boy an NWO guy. That's why he fit that mold. Hey, you talk about Rodman. I got him way up there at the top of the list. I mean, this guy bails out on the freaking Chicago Bulls championship run to go show up on Nitro to hang out with the NWO to go mix it up, you know, to take on WCW. This is a crosser. You've got professional wrestling's hot as hell at this point, but still you got to go to different heights here. Rodman's got him leading off Sports Center. You know, all the local news stations are talking about what is going on. Hey, hey it was probably it might have been greater than the first fire in Chicago. That city was so hot about what was happening. And that and that's all caused by Rodman. You've got so much more attention outside of Tyson, one of the arguably the greatest crossover appeals we've had inside of professional wrestling. And hell, you talk about the outlandishness, how he fits perfectly, Paz. We yeah, we got that old saying in pro wrestling, take who you are, turn it up to 10, 11, rip off the dial. That's over with. Here's what you do. You take your personality, you turn it up to Rodman and you rip off the dial. That's how you make it in pro wrestling. And Rodman was around a lot more than Tyson. Like they had Tyson, but they only had Tyson for what? Like five, six appearances. Whereas Rodman, it seemed like was on every freaking week. And when he wasn't there, he was sending in some kind of a video, him and Hogan hanging out in Vegas, doing whatever. And, and you've yeah. got Rodman making the circuit, you know, do is a talking Absolutely. head for you. Yep. Yeah. I Rodman was brilliant. He was a perfect fit for the NWO. And then of course the Utah jazz making it to the NBA finals and the whole thing with diamond Dallas page. And I mean, that match happens like a month after the NBA finals, they had a lot of great things fall into their lap with Dennis Rodman. And the fact that it was Dennis Rodman helped a lot. Bischoff says controversy creates cash. And that was absolutely the case with Dennis Rodman and WCW. Yes, for sure. So running, not low on time here, but a little bit of time left, and there's like a million more guys to mention. So I'm going to quickly run through some of them. Nick Patrick, great referee. Love that heel gimmick. It was awesome. Scotty Norton, of course, a part of uh, Vicious and Delicious with Buff, but did some singles run too. Much more involved with New Japan than he was WWE, but still a member of the NWO. VK Wall Street, uh, Mike Rotunda had a small run. Big Bob Rogers had a small run. Conan had a little bit of a run. Wait, let's let's wait. pause on Conan because Conan was someone we had talked about before we went live. Whoa, why? Before why? we started recording. Did anybody do more inside of the NWO for their own gimmick other than Conan? Conan was like a struggling luchador who was just trapped in the mid card with no kind of direction before the wolf pack was a part of the dungeon of doom for some reason. Right. I mean, like once the wolf pack came along and Conan could actually get a hold of a microphone, cut his promos, start wrestling more of a heavyweight style United States champion. Yeah. I mean like inside of the NWO, I think Conan is actually on the short list here. I I don't think he's just an also ran. Oh, I I would agree with Jagger. You look at someone who comes to the States, who comes to, the, to you know, uh, north of the border here, 
all those accolades, I mean, what he's been able to accomplish and just having across the board, having trouble breaking through, finding his own image, his own voice inside of the squared circle. He takes that energy, that vibe, what they represent, and he puts, you know, his own twist in that Latino flavor. No, we end up getting Latino World Order, which I thought was a great spinoff there. As you're talking about sitcoms and spinoffs and how successful they are, Conan, absolutely, still to this day, he brings that energy that you got, that attitude, that vibe that you saw from the NWL. I'd also add on there as well, I know he had success, but in reinventing himself and now today what he is you know, reimagined as is Scott Steiner. Yes, he was a guy I was about to mention. He was a guy that definitely epitomized the NWO when they kind of redid the NWO with the almost like that NWO elite when they were going to redo it and the finger poke of doom. Scott Steiner was going to be in, uh, you know, he was in that group, but it, you could see like they had bigger plans for him other than just a member of the NWO who just got to wear the shirt because so many of the guys that you know the Stevie Rays, the Brian Adams, Horace Hogan, the Disciple. I mean, they were just like, okay, we'll just put the shirt on them. You were going to get the guy over. He's going to be NWO. Not really Scott Steiner. It was like his whole attitude changed, whole character changed. He really was perfect in the NWO, and that just fit him attitude-wise and everything else. It was kind of the Buff Bagwell thing, but at a main event level, right? Yeah. Like that was kind of the presentation of – double chocolate chunk, as I like to call him at the beginning of his run inside of the NWO. But Scott was still young enough that he could have that main event run, even coming in kind of in the middle of the pack inside of the NWO. The problem was his body just got so big that he just ended up hurt all the freaking time. What you mentioned there, Jargo, you take that reinvention, the evolution Scott Steiner went from completely separating distance himself from Rick Steiner at that time. And I think that's what you had to do. Is you had to completely cut ties of that blue chipper, great looking, you know, all the tools in the world star to becoming the freak that he was. The big bad booty daddy. So you also just random guys that were in it. Dusty Rhodes randomly was in it. Louis Spicoli randomly in it, but not really. Disco Inferno randomly in it, but not in it. Tori Wilson, David Flair, not really officially in it, but kind of in it. Um, you had Kurt Hennig and Rick Rude. Hennig was and Rude was almost too much. It was overkill. Just for a brief period, him turn her and Hennig turning on Flyer was cool. And Rude showing up because literally he just quit WBF and he's on both shows at the same night on Nitro, which is insane. Like that's cool, but it's almost like overkill. It's almost like they have too many good guys and too many big names. They don't know what to do with them all. Um, you had NWO 2000 with Bret Hart and Jeff Jarrett and Ron and Don Harris. Uh, you had the WWF version with Booker T and Shawn Michaels, which was uh, pretty damn lame. Um, NWO Wolfpack with Sting and Luger, which I did not like at all. Uh, Miss Elizabeth randomly in it, kind of didn't want to be in it, but she's kind of randomly in it. NWO Japan, Tenzan, uh, Chono, Great Muda was huge business over there and it, and it was I mean, monumental and huge business over there. Uh, I always sure. thought they could have got more out of Chono and Muda together in the United States. Like whenever they would come over for the United States tour, they just kind of stick them together as a tag team. They'd go out there and job out to some, yeah, they didn't have much for them. Yeah. But especially with Muda's reputation with sting going back to the late eighties, I always thought they could have gotten a lot more out of Muda and Chono just, he presented like an absolute badass. He's like the yeah. freaking Japanese terminator. Just do something with the guy. I, I did hear Bischoff speak to the use of NWO, Japan in the States or in Western uh, the same thing with Norton, you know, they didn't mention his success over there. And Bischoff said that he really didn't believe for right or wrong at the time. He did not believe that, uh, that the audiences were educated enough to really understand where it would make an impact. So it was just a shortcoming. So that's kind of where their booking fell there. Uh, pause. I do want to throw out Hey, you know, one of uh, our family members with the Hami media group brand management, uh, April Hunter was part of the NWO. You can catch her every Tuesday yes. with Aaron Stevens over at twitch.tv backslash the A show. They get going about 7.30 Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and you can get all their great content and search for them on Patreon as well as YouTube. Uh, I do want to ask you guys before we get out of here, I was talking about Bischoff and him commenting on this thing. I, was, I just listened to one of his clips. And this blew me away. I thought this was a, a brilliant idea. And Bischoff even himself even said, damn, I wish I would have thought of this. We're talking about, you know, how great the NWO was versus WCW. What are your gentlemen thoughts if at the time they would have reassembled a version of the Heenan family to take on the NWO? 
it's a matter of who you want to put in it. Well, I, I think off the top of my head, because you know you've got that thing set. How long? It, I mean, um, obviously the classic. Whose side is he on? Did he didn't give anything away there? You know his arguably the greatest rival of Hawkmania, Bobby Heenan. So what if you did just throwing out a few names here? Uh, obviously Heenan there, you couldn't take any bumps like that, but you got him as your is a vote is a vocal point in there. Ric Flair, Mister Perfect. Uh, Rick Rude in some kind of capacity. You, you repackage where they're a little more real, Ming and Barbarian. I mean, there's a lot of ties you had on that roster to the Heenan family, I think, that in a realistic approach would have, you know, presented that would some badasses in there. I wish they would have done more with Meng. Like Meng would have been a really, really cool character to see in that more main event kind of spot. Henning was my absolute first thought. Um, I think they probably would have been a little too tempted to put the giant in with uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan to really go after the Hulkamania, Andre the Giant thing. Um, it could have been cool, though. I mean, I would have been there to see it, especially if it would have elevated Kurt Henning into a more main event kind of role in a feud with Hogan. I would, I would have absolutely paid to see that uh just you mentioned april hunter medasia pamela paul shock tylene buck mark johnson slick johnson the referee i don't count it but uh, a lot of people say barry windham he was really brought in by bischoff with the flair if you're not really an nwo guy i just he doesn't count you could say he's an associate member some doesn't count and for some reason people count the nasty boys that was a swerve and yes they let him put on the colors for like a, a day and the whole thing was the setup, like, oh, they're hanging out at the party, and then they beat the shit out of them because the whole Nash refuting with them, and and you know, over the the tag team titles and stuff. So, to me, they are not really members. So uh, I don't know if I missed anybody, but that's pretty much everybody in the NWO. So, Jargo, who is the greatest member ever in the NWO? Did we sway you? Did we change your mind at all? No, you didn't, man. I got to go with big, sexy Kevin Nash. I think he's the appropriate answer here. I'm sorry, Paz. I know that you really, really wanted Hollywood Hogan. And I know on the surface, it seems like Hogan should be the correct answer. But I got to go with big, sexy Kevin Nash. All right. Rick, we got. I, I have been swayed. You know, I wanted to come in here with you know to kind of throw the swerve at everybody. I was going to lean Rodman. I love this. Why we talk these things out? We have these conversations. I am changing my vote. I am going with Jargo. I am going big, sexy Kevin Nash. Uh, but even outside that, I'm going to drop. I'm going to drop Rodman down. I'm going to go Nash, Hogan, Paul, then Rodman. Wow. Shockingly here, I'm not going to go Hogan. I'm not. Not going to do it. I'm going to go best member of the NWO, Scott Hall. Without him, it just doesn't happen. I know Hogan is the key point, but without Hall, it doesn't happen. I think he's the attitude of the NWO. I think he's the cool factor. I think without him setting it off the way he did, we wouldn't have gotten, you know, you start off the angle and it's hot. Then how do you follow it up? I feel like he was the perfect guy to follow it up with. Then obviously he had an, uh, Nash and Hogan and all the other pieces, but I got to go Hall. He's the coolest guy. Anybody you say, who, who do you want to be the NWO? Everyone acts like Hall. They pretend like Hall. They're doing the Hall mannerisms. Hall is the heart and soul of the NWO. I think Scott Hall is the best member. Ever. I, I don't know, man. At 42 years old, if I try to do anything physical, uh, I'm acting more like Kevin Nash at this point. I'm pulling oh. shit left and right. <laughs> So one, two, three, I go Nash, Hogan, Hall. Pause. Where do you rank the three? Hall, Hogan, Nash. Rick, what do you got? I just did mine. I got Nash, Hogan, Hall. Nash, Hogan, Hall. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying, any, I'm trying in, to keep track case, here, man. In any case, they all sound like terrible 70s rock bands. <laughs> On that note, let's go to the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 2MPowerTrip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. Of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Jargo, what do you got? At not Jargo across social media platforms, michaeljargo.com, destinopod.com. And of course, you can also catch me over at the Big Vito brand, the Big V Mafia over on Patreon. Rick. Out there for uh, for all our listeners here at the Two Man Power Trip Empire. I know while you're listening to this that Cyber Monday has passed, hey, but that doesn't mean there's still not uh, some great values out there, some great deals for the holiday season. You heard us mentioning on this show so, some tremendous insight from Mr. Sullivan, from Mr. Pritchard. We got that and so much more. We got a ton of uploads that have just hit 
just hit the airways over at the Patreon, patreon.com backslash TMPT Empire. Uh, we also got some great free releases coming at you on the YouTube channel. Just give a search for Two Man Power Trip Empire. Uh, tremendous full in-lane uh, interviews coming at you, some sound bits coming at you. So a lot of content there for Two Man Power Trip. Thank you, Jargo. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you right back here next week for Who Is. See you next week. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother.